You may sit down in freedom. How many are glad to be in a free nation today? Amen. As you're celebrating freedom in this nation this weekend, make sure you celebrate the freedom you have in the Lord. How many are free in the Lord today? Amen. Amen. I'm so happy that you're here. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Kings. I don't need that. That's okay. Thank you. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. I have in the second service been trying to get to a new sermon series to go verse by verse through the Bible. I don't know if I've told that book to you yet. Have I mentioned the book that I want to get to? Okay, then I'll keep it a secret because I haven't let you know yet, so keep coming. And you will realize what that book is. But right now, I'm going through my devotions in the yearly Bible reading plan through the book of Kings. And God is doing something unique in my heart here because I keep wanting to preach on it. And I've never preached on these stories before. Everybody go, ooh, isn't that exciting? Amen. So you have a preacher for over 20 years preaching new stuff right here. And God is preaching it to me, and I'm preaching it to you, and I hope that you're blessed today. Look at your neighbor and say, do what is right. Do what is right. First service, we're going through the book of John, verse by verse. Second service, I'm going through Kings, I guess, because I think this is the third or fourth sermon in the book of Kings. One day, by God's grace, I'll preach through the whole Bible. I'm almost done with the New Testament. We've done Matthew, and we've done Revelation. We're hitting everything in between. And uh, by God's grace, we will go verse by verse through Kings. How many think that would be awesome? Uh, that's going to definitely be a, a sight to see for preachers. That will, I'll tell you what, there's going to be some tough messages there, but this one today is going to be pretty easy. It kind of preaches itself. I want to read it. I want to see what you get out of it and see if the Lord's speaking to you under the same ideas that he's given me. Somebody say, do what is right. Amen. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. We're going to learn about a great king named Hezekiah. In the third year of Hosea, or Hosea, son of Eliah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So we got Hoshua, rather, is a better way of saying it. Everybody say Hoshua. We got Elah. We got Israel, Hezekiah, Ahaz, and Judah. And those are all important names to know. Those are good names to name your sons if you want some good Bible names right there. So at this point, the kingdom of Israel has been divided. You have 10 tribes in what is known as Israel, just in general, it's called Israel. And then you have the king of Judah with the Benjamites. So it's a divided kingdom. Here we're seeing that there is a king named Hoshua and he's reigning in Israel. Hezekiah is reigning in where? Where is he at? Judah. I got one Bible student. I wish I could give you a special gift for that. I'm telling you right now, I don't carry a lot of cash on me, but whenever I do, I got to give it to the Bible student. Amen. I'm going to give you $10 for that, man of God. Thank you. That blessed the preacher. I just want to do that. Every now and then, I got to say thank you. Just every now and then, got to tip a brother. Man, that was awesome. So I'm just going to read this again because it does go in, into our message about knowing about the different things going on in, in the kingdom of God here. There is a king over Israel, and Hezekiah is king over what? Judah. Thank you. Now, I don't have $10 to give all of you, but I hope that you're paying attention, okay? 
So that's what we're learning. There's a king of Israel, those 10 tribes that are there. And then there's two tribes with Judah, Judah and the Benjamites, and Hezekiah is king there. Now, verse 2, he, talking about Hezekiah, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Another great name there, Zechariah for a man and Abijah for a woman. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. These would be like totem poles made to their gods and ancestors. He broke it into pieces. The bronze snake Moses had made, if you remember that in the wilderness, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Everybody say Nehushtan. Nehushtan is the viper that was made on that stick. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast. Somebody say held fast. Amen. That was an idea for another sermon title in this message. Either do what is right or hold fast. But I went with doing what is right. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Somebody say successful. Amen. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Can I hear an amen for Hezekiah and the word of the Lord? Going back up now to verse 18. You have the divided kingdom. Israel as a nation, is not doing good. Judah is not doing much better. They're both having kings and people disobey God. So as it was going for their leadership, so it was with their people. Not many righteous among them. The Israelites had already been captured now by Assyria, a neighboring pagan nation, and were now being shipped off to those lands, being taken as slaves, and their land was given to other people so that they could be displaced from their land that God had given them. Here is Judah holding out, being obedient to God as much as they can, though the Bible says they were uh, just as bad, if, if not just as worse as them. But God was being merciful and giving them extra time. Here we see now that a king raises up. His name is Hezekiah, and he does the right thing. Just to fast forward to the end of the book of Kings, right after him, they go back to sinning. And Judah then becomes captured by Babylon. And if you remember the story of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's how they go to Babylon because Babylon conquers Judah. When we look at the life of Hezekiah, we see an example of someone that we're supposed to be like in troubled times. When you would look to Hezekiah in the Bible, you would look for where were his influences? Where did he get the ideas to do this? And it says he was just like his father, David. Everybody say David. But there's a problem there when you look at genealogy because David had lived uh, decades before. 
and had already died. Why is David called Hezekiah's father? Because Hezekiah was like a son to David in doing what David did. Like father, like son. The Bible teaches us the principle of spiritual mothers and fathers. Do you have any in this room today? Anybody like a spiritual mother, a spiritual father? Has anybody influenced you throughout the years? They could even be younger, but still somebody that you look up to. You know, sometimes in the church, people get a little bit ageist, especially when I started before I had all of this gray hair at 22. People used to look down on me. They didn't want to see me as a spiritual father. But you know what? They would still look up to Michael Jordan, even though he was younger than them. They would look up to their favorite baseball player and wear that baseball player's shirt. But something in the church made them feel like they couldn't look up to me, even though I was making them threes, slamming and making dunks in Jesus' name. Are you listening? So make sure you pick spiritual mothers and fathers, not by age, though that is appropriate if they're living right, but you pick them according to how they live. Zechariah is called a son of David. Who else is called a son of David in the Bible? Jesus, and we know, of course, that Joseph was his earthly father, God, his heavenly father, born of a virgin. But why was he given that specific title? Because he was like David, and then specifically according to the messianic prophecies, Jesus was fulfilling them. Hezekiah, in other words, did not have an earthly father or an earthly uncle, or earthly men to look up to, to follow an example, he had to go back to the scriptures and follow the examples of those who came before him. And then the Bible says, because he did that, the Lord was with him. Look at what happens. He smashes these idols. He cuts down the totem poles. He takes the idols out of the land. Now, remember, this is not stealing. He is a king, and that is public property, so he could do it. Oftentimes, rioters say, well, we're just doing what they did in the Bible, smashing the bad things. Nike's the bad thing. And we always have to remind them, Nike doesn't belong to you. Smash things in your own house if you want to make a point. Amen? The king had the authority over the public area so that he was not stealing or damaging other people's property. Once again, people say, well, Jesus was a rioter. He rioted at the temple. Yeah, it was his Father's house. Have you read the Bible? If you want to riot and tear down your father's house to make a point, go for it. You just don't have the right to tear down someone else's house. Can I hear an amen? I have to preach that way in the 21st century because people take these things out of context. Aren't you glad that we do not support rioting and looting? Now you say, 4th of July, Pastor, what did we do? The T, they were taxing us for the things that we were buying with our own money, and then they were oppressing us. And so it was our land, it was our, uh, our businesses, it was our money, and they kept making deals and breaking them, and then we said, we're done with your deals. And so if you want to do that, once again, you can do that with the products that you're buying from Nike, set them on fire in front of the store, and say, we're no longer buying it. If you're a Nike distributor, do you understand how those things work. I said, do you understand? Maybe I need to stop and talk a little bit more about Independence Day. Once again, was that the land, the land that the Americans was on, was that their land or was that England's land? 
That was technically their land, but England kept wanting to have it. Now, this is where a lot of people I don't understand. We talk about colonizers. We talk about conquistadors. We look at them in a bad light, and then we look at America in that same light. America rebelled against conquistadors and occupiers. Do you understand? I'm not saying we didn't do it at different times, and I wasn't here to begin with, by the way. I was there. I, my family only came 100 years ago. But do you understand that we as Americans rebelled against the occupiers? So we understand that. That's what the Statue of Liberty is for. Now, going back to this scripture, there are times to tear down the wicked things. Once again, those statues did not belong to somebody else that belonged to the king. If you don't like a statue inside of the park, Millennium Park, get a governor or a leader to tear it down for you. Don't run over there and do it yourself. Can I hear another amen? In Chicago, act like you know something. Now, if you don't serve the God of the Bible and you're already an atheist, an unbeliever, or whatever, then do what you do and put it on your God, Satan, or your God, yourself, me, myself, and I, your unholy trinity. But don't use our Bible to support tearing down people's property that is not yours. But it's fully acceptable for some of you who have saints in your house to pull out a hammer today and break them. They belong to you, don't they? And did God tell you to pray to them? No, look at one of the things that Hezekiah broke. He broke Nahushtan. And what was it? It was that serpent-like figure that God told them to make. See, this serpent around the stick, and if you've ever seen the Red Cross or the symbol of medical, of help, of, of, of um, health, this comes from the Old Testament. The serpent around the cross, and let me just pause and say this, not all serpent images in the Bible are evil. Though I have a dragon inside of the line of Judah's mouth, the dragon, the serpent, the devil is evil, okay? But the Bible uses the serpent also as good examples because it's still a creature of God. The Bible says, be as wise as, be as wise as what? Serpents, harmless as dove. So it's also used as a good thing. Then you see in the wilderness when the Israelites had sinned against God and poison had broke out, a plague had broke out among the people. He said, take up a staff, put a serpent around it and make it bronze and whoever looks to it will be healed. Jesus in John chapter 3 said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, the son of man must also be lifted up. Amen? And what did that mean? Did Jesus become the devil on the cross and shape shift? Jesus became sin for us. Not that Jesus sinned. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This was a symbol, a sign in the Old Testament that that which was evil would be turned for good at the cross in Jesus' name. But what did these Israelites start doing? They started burning incense and worshiping the serpent on a stick. What did Hezekiah do? He had a pinata party with it, broke it to pieces, smashed it. What does that say to our Roman Catholic friends? Smash the mother of Guadalupe. But it's precious. It represents Mary. I agree. Nothing wrong with something that represents Mary. Just like there was nothing wrong with this bronze snake hanging around the Israelites. But what became the problem? When they started praying to it. 
If you want an image of Mary around your house, that's fine. Remember Mary like you would remember a family member. And we don't know what they look like, so you can make it whatever image you like. Have you ever seen a white Mary? I have. Have you ever seen a black Mary? Have you ever seen a Chinese Mary? I have. They're out there. And you, have you ever seen a Hispanic Mary? Come on. You can make Mary in whatever image you can think of that relates to you as a mother. That's okay. But what did they begin to do? Pray to it. Burn incense to it. So this is where we say to our Roman Catholic friends, hey, we understand you want to honor the saints. We honor the saints. I'm also a saint right now. I'm St. Joseph from Chicago. Have we met yet? Because isn't that what the Bible calls Christians all throughout the New Testament? There are saints on earth and there are saints in heaven. Here we are, the saints of Chicago. Have you met St. Joseph Bonilla yet? Amen. Of Austin, you know, the Austin, Belmont, Cragen area. You see, what it teaches us is that religious people can take something good and make it bad. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another in the book of James. But does it say, go into a dark closet? Does it say to do it in a closet? Yes or no, saints? Does it say to do it in a dark closet where only the confession comes from you to that person? As I've always said, you shouldn't be confessing your sins to Father Tom in a closet. He should be confessing his sins before a judge in the jury. How it gets quiet when I preach like that. I'm not saying every Father Tom is naughty, but many of them are, and they've been covering it up. And see, they take good things, religious people, and I'll get to our people here in just a moment, with the Protestants in just a moment, but I want to just speak to some of the obvious things. People take good things like confession of sins. The Bible says in James, confess your sins one to another. That's how it's supposed to work. But then we turn that into a confessional booth. When you confess sin to me, the Bible says, take heed lest I uh, think I stand and I fall. So if I ever am in a conversation with you and you want to confess to me what you're going through, you know what's always my response is to confess back to you what God's been dealing with me on. Come on, can I hear an amen for that? Oh, pastor, I just want to, you know, confess pornography. Would you pray for me? The Bible says we can do that one for another. Absolutely, and your sins will be forgiven. I am not the one that has to do it. You can go directly to God, but the Bible says we can do it. It's for our encouragement. Well, if you confess that to me, you know what I'll say? You know what? Well, God's forgiven me of pornography as well. And from time to time, I lust in my heart, and God's forgiven me of that. And you know what, brother or sister? You're going to be free in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to live free from that. And so that's why it says confess your sins one to another. But what does religion do? Have you just confessing to the priest? We know that remembering the saints is great. You should know, and I say this to all the young people here, you should know the saints more than you know the Marvel Universe team. You should know, I'm looking at all these young people right here, you should know the saints better than you know the DC comic book characters. You know, you watch these different shows. You know, Marvel has all of their different shows now, and DC has all of theirs, and it gets into character after character after character, and then you'll meet some nerd that can explain to you, you know, how the Flash comes into this world over here with Batman, and they're all friends over in this one, you know, and then I ask him, well, you know who Ignatius is? <laughs> oh, you mean St. Ignatius over there, the school? No, I'm not talking about St. Ignatius, the school with the good football team, whatever. I'm talking about, do you know the man Ignatius who was eaten alive by lions in the first century for being a follower of Jesus Christ? And in his last letters, he said, I'll be the communion for the lion like Jesus was the communion for my soul. I'll let a lion eat me like Jesus let me consume him. Isn't that powerful when you think of their lives? Do you know of Clement? You know? Do you know of these mighty men and women of God who came before us? We should know our saints. But once again, the world would have us look to them and start to pray. How about conferences? Are conferences bad? Are conferences bad? 
No, there's nothing wrong with having a conference. We've had them here. But what happens? People start burning the incense to the conference. They start saying, well, unless I go to the marriage conference, I can't work on my marriage. This is your marriage conference. Come to church, get the word of God, worship together, pray together, and watch what God will do in your marriage. Amen? Jesus didn't go around giving marriage conferences. Jesus went around teaching the word of God, and good marriages were built. What makes good uh, husbands and wives? Good Christians. What makes good teenagers? Good Christians. You know what makes a good employee? A Christian. You know what makes a good boss? A Christian. You know what makes a good governor? Come on, somebody. I think you know the answer. Christians. Christians make the best of everything. Christian doctors, Christian lawyers, Christian governors, Christian businessmen and women, Christian teachers, Christian police officers. We need Christians. And yet today, conferences put before you keeping God's commands and make you think if you go here, you get something special out of that that somehow subverts the Word of God. Once again, conferences can be based on the Word of God, but a lot of people go there thinking they're going to get something different than the Word of God. Did they not have God with them at this time in the, in the history of kings? Yeah, so why are they going to an old uh, stick with a, a serpent on it? Well, you know, do you have God in your life? then why do you need K-Love every day? Now, you could turn it on every day if you want, but do you know how to worship a, from the Lord a, a song from your own heart, or do you need K-Love every day to help you to do that? You know? Do you need to go to your book of prayers, or do you know how to pray from what God's doing in your life? The Bible says that he is looking for, across the earth for those he can show himself mighty in. The Bible says that he is a responder and a rewarder to those who have faith. You can't always go with the faith of K-Love. You can't go with the faith of your favorite YouTube preacher or blogger. You have to start to have your own faith. What is God doing in your life? I don't want Moses' stick with a serpent on it. I want the God of Moses who told him to make a stick with a serpent on it. I don't want the traditions of the saints. I want the God who met with those saints. What made Ignatius the way that he was? What made uh, these awesome disciples all throughout history? If each one of you look back in your countries and your culture, you can look at who reached your people with the gospel these people who were the first missionaries to come to our people groups and to reach us with the message of Jesus Christ, these should be our heroes. But we never should worship them, burn incense to them, and thinking that they're going to do something greater for us than Jesus. God forbid. And then if you scroll down a little bit, please, you see that there was no one like him among the, kids, the kings of Israel. Well, did he float on the, the sky? Did he walk on water? Did he change the dirt into birds and make them fly? Did, did he fly like Superman, young people? Did he scale the walls like Spider-Man? Why was there nobody like him? Because he held fast to the things of God. Do you know that you'll stand out today in this culture, not by the fashion that you wear, not by the friends that you make, not by the money that you have. They've all seen that before. You know how you and I can stand out on our jobs and our community and with our families in this country? It's hold fast to the word of God. They'll look at you like you came from the past. You mean you still believe in two genders, boys and girls? Where are you from, 1854? No, I'm holding fast to the word of God. Well, we don't do that anymore. I don't care what you do. This is what I do. Are you listening? Will you still believe that sexuality is made for one man and one woman? Absolutely. Where did you come from, 1720? No, I came from the Bible. 
You see, you hold fast to the word of God, people will look at you like you came out of Abraham Lincoln's generation in some weird uh, time travel device. You stick out, don't you? Because you don't look like them. You don't act like them. You don't talk like them. I remember when I first got saved, I was a skateboarding drug dealer. I was a chameleon. I hung out with different friends. Whoever I was with, I would be like them. And I remember when I first got saved, I said, I want this to be so real. I want no one to think I'm the same person anymore. So you know what? I started dressing like a televangelist. Seriously, man, I was only 18 years old. I didn't know any other real Christians aside from those kind of guys that I would see on TV. You can find on our church website, or excuse me, church uh, YouTube, my very first sermon. I got a sport jacket on, hair slicked back. Why? Because I, I didn't want to be like the world anymore. Now, thankfully, the Lord told me I could wear comfortable clothes. I didn't have to wear a suit and always preach out the King James and try to be like a televangelist. How many are thankful for that today? Most of you probably wouldn't even be here if I was doing that. (laughs) But I wanted to be different. The Bible says you're a holy people if you're a Christian. The Bible actually says you're a strange and peculiar person. Look at your neighbor and say, you're doing great at that. You're definitely hitting the mark on that. You're definitely strange and peculiar. Yeah, we're a unique people. Listen, listen, you know what we all are? Aliens. And I'm not talking that the kind that run from La Migra or the kind that come down from space. But the Bible says we're aliens. We're actually aliens. You know why? Because our spirits are now inhabited by the Holy Spirit. You've been body snatched. Did you know that? If you have the Holy Spirit, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You now are an alien on this planet. And what does it feel like to walk around and see the people, the population, or the natives? They're a crazy bunch of people, aren't they? You ever seen the natives of Chicago? They're a crazy bunch, aren't they? Natives of our world, they're quite crazy. But you used to be one, so don't judge them in that way. Pray for them and preach them. But never forget your identity. You're just passing through. You're waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Aren't you, isn't that your prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible says that when we get raptured, that a one-world government leader called the Antichrist is going to take over. What do I think will be one of the ways he deceives the nations? They were aliens, and they took them back to be with them. Or aliens abducted these people. Let's all join together, join our military forces. And then guess what? They're going to start to have their own aliens. But what does the Bible say they are? Demons. And then these demons upon the earth, which I think will be appearing as aliens, will do false signs and wonders. Aren't you glad you came to a church that freaks you out? I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to preach the parts of the Bible that Oprah doesn't like, amen? If you're visiting with us, we preach those parts too. So there's a rapture that happens. Pastor, what's a rapture like? It looks like a beam me up Scotty. There's an antichrist that comes. What does that look like? It looks like the utopian society of Hunger Games. And what will those look like who are demons who are deceiving the people? You're Marvel superheroes. Because last time I checked, a lot of those Marvel superheroes don't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, don't say Jesus as their Savior, and they're just as messed up as the people they're trying to save. If you believe it, can I hear an amen? Now, be careful what you watch and so forth. We're not here to get into that today. But I want to encourage you to be like a Hezekiah. 
a Hezekiah who stands out. Someone that says, I don't want to be like the rest. My father didn't do it right. My uncle didn't do it right. But I'm going to be like David. I heard he did it right. And so he became a son of David. See, some of you may not be like your father in this place. We grow up in a fatherless generation. You know the stats, and many of you are the fact. Grew up without a father. And today you're not the son of your father because you don't know him. And those of you who do, you're not proud of how he's been or treated your mother. But you know what? You can find a father here in the Bible. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just, amen, Sunday school class. If you got to skip some generations, you go all the way back to Abraham. That's why when people were tearing down stuff and they were saying, talking to me, your people, your people, I'm like, who do you think my people are? The Sopranos, I'm half Italian and Polish, by the way, the Sopranos aren't my people. My people are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Those are my people, y'all. I'm with the people of God, Christ over every culture in Jesus' name. And so I'm willing to be like a Hezekiah today. Do you see that opportunity in your life to be different, to tell the truth on your job, to be kind to your neighbor, to be patient in traffic, to love those who don't love you? When we go out and preach, we do have a boldness. We do have a passion. But once people amplify it to the sense of violence, we always take them back and go, hey, hold, hold on. We ain't about that. I'm passionate about heaven and hell, but I'm not here to fight you. My battle's not against flesh and blood. You're not my enemy. The enemy is the devil who's deceived both you and me. The only difference is, is I've been set free in the name of Jesus. I always got to remind people of that because they hear us preaching, they see us waving our Bibles around, and then they want to scream in our face and get it on, you know? And we have to tell them, no, 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 that's not what we're about. Our fight's not against you. I'm not here because I hate you. We don't go out to Belmont and Clark or to the Gay Pride Parade. We don't go out there because we hate them. We go out there because we love them. One sister, or I don't know if she's a sister, I should say, but she met us out there. She claimed to be a Christian and also a lesbian, so I do think that's a great contradiction. She got so offended at us and walked away but then wrote us on Facebook. I mentioned her before, and I'm still praying for her because I just found another message that she had wrote us, and I'm waiting for her to respond. Please pray for her. But as I was preaching to her, she felt justified in her sin. You see, there's a difference between being a Christian who sins and a Christian who enjoys their sin. See, the Bible says there's a big difference with that. If you're a Christian today and you sin, there's forgiveness. Can we go to 1 John chapter 2? I just want to encourage you on your path of holiness. Should you sin, it's okay. Don't quit on Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Come on, somebody say, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Since we were already singing Father Abraham, why not bring out that one? Amen. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. To once to him be, they are weak, but he is strong. That's what I do with my kids. We're weak. Sometimes we sin, we're weak. We shouldn't be, but we do. But he is strong. He's stronger than your sin, Christian. Even if you do it and you regret it and you know you shouldn't have, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus today. 
John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. That's, that's the point of being a Christian. You don't want to go on and sin anymore. You're not proud of it. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the what? The sins of the whole world. So how dare us, as forgiven sinners, ever act like we're better than unforgiven sinners? What's the difference? We've just been forgiven. We, we needed it too. That's why we always got to remind them, I'm just like you, except I'm forgiven and changed. Like, I didn't earn this. I'm not better than you in that way. I'm better off because of what Jesus did. So you can become just like me. Now go to Hebrews 10.26, but there is a difference. Hebrews 10.26 has been read here before. If we go on willfully sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Hannah, would you come up here for me, please? Can you give it up for my second oldest, my daughter right here? Come on. You see, I want you all to pray for Hannah. Somebody say, I'll pray for her, Pastor. You see, everybody says Hannah reminds them of me because she's a strong-willed child with a lot of personality. But I love this one so much. I want to use her as an example. You see, if my daughter in my house makes mistakes and says, Dad, forgive me, we're good. I might give her a few push-ups, maybe a few extra chores in the house. That's what it's like being in my house, by the way. Okay, That's what it's like to have a man of God in the house. Some people say, I wish I had a dad that was there like your dad. Well, this is what my dad, her dad is like, okay? So every now and then, give her a little few extra chores, a couple push-ups. She's going to get some strong biceps. But you know what? As long as she always wants to do the thing that's right, we give her second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And we say to her, I believe in you, and I know that God is with you, and that you're going to be somebody great. Amen? Amen. Let's give it up for her. Go sit there for me, please. Because we don't give up on our children, do we? But how many know if she does what I did at 16 and rebels, leaves the house, hey, that's your choice now. You see, my parents were good Christian parents, but at one point they said, you can't bring those drugs into this house anymore. And you know what I did? I brought drugs into the house. And you know what they did? They called the police, and I was arrested in my own house. That was before you could have weed. Now they can smoke it at the park, okay? My, my parents called the police on me at least two or three times. I remember one time the police were coming. I jumped out of my bedroom windows from the second floor, caught some gifts like Spider-Man or whoever you can think of, ran down the block. They got up in their car, followed me down the block, saw me. It's like one of those movies. I'm running down the block, cars coming down. I ducked into a porch of my friend. They found me in my friend's porch. You see, I used to be a rebellious teenager. But you know what? My parents kept praying for me. Until I reached the age of 18 years old, and at that time, November 5th, 1995, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen? You see, if you keep on sinning, you'll reap your fruit. If I would have died in that time of rebellion, I would have went to hell. My parents would not have been bad parents. 
You know, my parents did everything they could as godly parents. Let me just encourage some of you here today that are trying to raise Hezekiahs, but they don't want to be that because you're saying, man, I would have given anything to have this. I don't know why they're not taking that opportunity. That was very much like my parents. They had uh, not grown up in Christian homes. They became Christians as adults, and they took me to church every single day. I had a Bible since I was eight years old. I was baptized as a young child. I went to private Christian school, but those stories and those things still happen. Why? Because I made that choice. Going back to our notes, Hezekiahs can come from broken families. Are you listening to me? And godly families can miss a Hezekiah moment. You see, I'm going to say that again. Those who have come from broken families in this place, and I don't say this lightly, but there's many in here, and you've, got, you've captured my heart because I've seen you at your weddings or your birthday parties, and you don't have moms and dads, even at graduations, and you don't have them applauding you because they're out of your life. life. Listen to me. You can become a Hezekiah. You and your future is not handcuffed to the problems of your past. There is a future ahead of you, and there is a spiritual leader that will take you under their wing like David in his teachings took that man under his wing. Amen? And at the same point, and I say this to all of the church kids with all honesty speaking to my own church kids, you can be being brought up in the house of Hezekiah and become, just like Hezekiah's son, another wicked king. Because the king that came after Hezekiah, you notice it says here, it says there was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And you can lose your Hezekiah blessing. Can I hear an amen? Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. Amen. I want to give you now about five points to do what's right. Look at your neighbor and say, do what's right. You see, David became a father figure to him. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Who today are you following? Who are you looking up to? You know, even people that I meet on the streets or worldly people, oh, they say, you Christians, you know, you just follow your pastors, and then, you know, they pimp you and all that. And that may be true. We'll be the first ones to admit that, that that can happen in the Christian church. But I always like asking them, who are you following? Who are you looking up to? Travis Scott, who will let you die in one of his concerts? Come on, somebody. You're looking up to the Kardashians? Somebody is. They're not getting rich all by themselves. Oh, I don't follow the Kardashians. Well, who is then? Who's going to own up to that? Come on, let's be honest. Somebody's following them. Who, somebody's following Kylie Jenner today so that she can have all that she has. Who's buying that makeup? Who's, who's dressing like her today? Who's buying the clothes, right? And then other men, you know, I love these kind of men because I'm a manly man. I just want to be very honest with you. Those who have struggled with homosexuality, you are welcome here, okay? And we will love you and not judge you in the way that we would not, that we would not want to be judged. We'll treat you just the way you are. But I want to be very honest with you. I'm as masculine as a man can come up here, okay? I've been in men's locker room, and there is nothing there that I want, okay? I'm just saying to you, I'm a masculine dude. I'm a, I've always been one. And I'm going to die one in Jesus' name, okay? But I want to say to you as a masculine dude, I don't know how some of you dudes always like watching men in tights, whether it's baseball or football, you shout and you scream, take off your shirt, paint your body, and talk to the TV like they can hear you, and then you think, I've lost my mind. I'm following the creator of the universe, Bubba. I'm not following Peyton Manning. I'm not following those. I know it may be impressive, but I'm not here to watch them. That, that's up to you. I'm not against you going to sports. That's between you and God. I'm just saying, like, how are you going to come at me as a man? 
and say, man, I think that's weak. You go to church, you worship Jesus. How are you going to come at me like that when you're watching dudes in tights for 24 hours? You got the sports center on. All you do is hear about other dudes. What is wrong with you? I'm just keeping it real. I'm just being 100% honest. I don't understand how masculine, I think it was beer commercials that did it, if you want to be conspiratorial. How did masculinity become about watching other dudes do stuff? I'm a dude. I want to do stuff. Do you know that my great uncle or great cousin, one of them, you can look him up, Johnny Y. Rostick, look him up sometime, gentlemen, played professional baseball. You know when that was uh, in the 1900s, you know he had to pay his own way? Professional sports is a new phenomenon. It wasn't always like that. About 100 years ago, you couldn't get paid to do any of those sports. Look at the history of basketball and how it started. You know, I came from Indiana, the Hoosiers and all this. I mean, all of this, all of this stardom we have now put into sports is all new to this culture. 100 years ago, nobody cared. So I always say to those guys, man, yeah, you want to play baseball? Come in my backyard and entertain me for about 10 minutes. That's how I think about you. I'm just being honest. I know it's skill. I know they had to beat out others, but it is no different just sitting in my backyard just watching some kids toss around the ball. There is nothing I idolize. But as I said, there are grown men that make idols out of these dudes. And don't get me with the short, short basketball players. You got short, short basketball players, baseball players, and you know football players. Wayne Tice, short, short soccer player, watching men run around. Other dudes, and I want to be honest, UFC, and don't beat me up, but some of these dudes look like they need to get a hotel room. Have you ever seen some of the UFC fights? They're all hugging on each other, touching on each other. I'm just being honest. That is not my thing. I don't want to be wrapped up in the dude. And then I'm looking at the guy who won, and I'm like, I don't even want to look at you. You're the one who won. Your nose is busted up. Your face is busted up. And that's who we call the winner. And men call that masculinity. When did, when did being a father stop being masculine? When did being a husband stop? Do we need a beer commercial about being a husband? When, when did being a father stop being masculine? When did your honor, listen to me, I'm talking to men here. When did your honor stop being masculine? You should be a man that tells your word, uh, keeps your word. That's masculine. You should be a man that goes to bed, uh, you know, with your family and wakes up with your family. That's masculine. Now, if you want to do that other stuff, listen to me. You can rib on me. You can crack on me. I understand. But I'm just being honest with you. Not everybody thinks the way you do about sports. I don't know anything about it. I don't care. I'm pretty good at it. I've been athletic my whole life, but I'd rather do it than watch it. Are you listening to me? And so I want to ask you, do you want to stand out like Hezekiah? Well, the next time you're in the gym and the guy asks you about a sport that you don't care about, look back at him and say, well, yeah, but what do you think about Jesus? Yeah, man, did you know how they traded so-and-so and so-and-so now going to be going to this team? I mean, that happens to me all the time. Just go back to this and go, man, I don't know anything about so-and-so, but what do you think about Jesus? Sick out like a Hezekiah. How come they feel comfortable talking to me about the fight, but they feel uncomfortable talking about Jesus? You see, it shows you where people's priorities are in our culture. I would say it like this. You're a husband. You're a good man. You know, if you're, if you're married, you're, you're a good man. You're a father. You're a good man. You take care of your children. Whatever you do on your free time, that's fine, man. That's, that's between, I'm, I am teasing a little bit, but that's fine. That's, that's what you do. But let us always remember, we're going to stick out like Hezekiah's in this world. And then they're going to mock us. They're going to mock us. Oh, man, you raised your hands to church. I was in the hood the other day. Somebody say the hood. I know this is part preaching, part stand-up, but I'm not trying to be funny. Listen to me. Somebody say the hood. I was in the hood the other day, and people make fun of us. Oh, you sing these slow worship songs. I was in the hood, Brother TJ, and there was a dude playing slow jam so loud that he rattled the entire neighborhood. I was getting my gas pumped, and it was rattling my car. But it was a slow jam. I love you, baby. 
And I love you, man, I'm coming for you. In the middle of the night. And I'm like thinking to myself, this dude is in the hood rattling cars with some R&B love song. No shame. Nobody is saying to this dude, you're not a man. Nobody's calling out that dude. And yet you're telling me I can't put on, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. Tears coming down my eyes. Now I'm, now I'm effeminate. To hell with that. Man, I'm a man, but I'm also a warrior, and I'm also a worshiper. I'm also a father. I'm all of these things. And women the same way. Find a man that's not ashamed to be all that. In Jesus' name. I'm just saying, somebody's got to be a Hezekiah. Put on that worship song. Put it on. Put on that worship song. Let, let men see you cry. And going back to the sisters, now adding everybody in here. You know, turn down gossip. Turn down the wickedness of the world. Everybody doesn't have to be like Ellen. Amen? Everybody doesn't have to be falling for the same traps of this world. Stick out. Be different. Go back to these notes. He found a man named David through the scriptures, and he says, I want to be like this man. Now go to Romans chapter, or 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 11. Somebody say, I want to be like God. Whoever's like God, I want to be, be like. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's why I love whenever somebody stands up for Christ, and I love it when they do it in sports or on their job, but not all of us are going to have this attention, but I love it when people do it and they don't even do it for the crowd. They do it because it's the right thing to do. I love it when I hear about you meeting other coworkers and stuff, and I meet them at an outreach, and you'll say, man, this is my coworker. We're Christians. We met on the job. You see, you have to stand up for Jesus, or you're going to fall for everything in this generation. Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. I love what Billy Graham said, and Lauren, find that quote for me. When someone with courage comes into the room, everybody's backs gets a little bit straighter. I want to read that for the congregation today because this world is really looking for role models. Everybody has them. It's just not everybody's role model is good. Everybody wants to see somebody that inspires them, and I get that. That's what sports do. That's what music does. Inventors, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs looking up to uh, Elon Musk and so forth, but are people looking up to you? Because they should be. People should see us as the examples that they can touch and be around. Because we don't know Elon Musk. What is that dude like? But can you be a Christian entrepreneur today? Yeah, you could be a person that starts a company, gives God the glory, and that your employees look up to. I remember my dad. He was a financial planner, and he became quite successful towards the end of his, uh, his career. And he rented out in our city the box seats for the, uh, the, the professional football team. There was the indoor one. And so in our city, Fort Wayne is a small city. But that was a pretty big deal. My dad brought his clients there. And I remember being invited there. You know, I've never been in box seats before. I didn't grow up like that. It's just my dad was coming up, and he wanted to honor his, his clients. And we were there, and the game was going on. And it surprised me because my dad didn't even tell me. He, he just put out the food for the halftime, and then you know what he said? He said, I want to give glory to God for making me the businessman that I am today, and I want to let you know that I always put God first in everything that I do, and if anyone needs prayer, I'm here to pray for you, and I'm going to have my son pray for this the food and the fellowship, and if y'all want to hang out and talk about that, let us know because true success comes from God. Man, you want to talk about feeling honored. I felt so honored that that was my dad. 
more than being in the box seats, more than the clients that he was helping out, the who's who of that part of our town. I felt like, man, I want to be like my dad. My dad has people that look up to him because he's good at his job, but he doesn't let that success get to his head. He gives all the glory to God. So what are you doing today for the glory of God? Maybe it's just where you're working at. Maybe you're an employee. Maybe today you're going to a barbecue or tomorrow for the fourth. Who's going to be there looking up to you? What other people are going to want what you have? And you might say, Pastor, well, I've tried, and they just don't want to listen. Find somebody that does want to listen. Stop saying the same people don't want it. Go find the ones that do. Don't get stuck in a rut and say, well, I can't be a Hezekiah. No one in my life wants me to be that for them. You find somebody. And if you're having trouble, do it. Go to our outreach. We'll help you find somebody. Because eventually, somebody's going to give you their phone number and say, this God thing, I want to learn about it. And then you'll sit down with them for coffee. You'll begin to spend your time with them. And you know what? Over the years, they're going to look up to you as a mentor. They're going to say, because of what you've given me in my life, I'm now a different person. Thank you for sharing this example with me. Lord, I'm going to read it out to you. And then I'm going to tell you a story about a young girl in a high school. This example here. Oh, I thought you sent it to me. Or oh, you did? Where did you put it on my text? Okay, there it is. Thank you. Billy Graham said it. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. How many brave men and women do we have here today? Are you brave? Yeah. Amen. There was a young girl in my youth group. She would come all the time. She was, uh, you know, the kind of person people would want to be friends with. She looked like the who's who of the cafeteria crew, in other words. And I noticed she always came by herself. She always came by herself. Every week came by herself. But she's a great girl. She had sports on her side. She, she took care of herself, you know, nicely dressed, et cetera. And I'm thinking to myself, why doesn't she have anybody coming? So I asked her in one of our leadership meetings, I said, why don't you have anybody come from your high school? We, got, we had a lot of young people come. Everybody's inviting people. And you know what she said? Well, I, I invited my friends, and they didn't want to come. You know what I told her? I said, make new friends. <laughs> Seriously, you don't have to leave your old friends, but make new friends. Somebody say, make new friends. You know what she did? She went and made new friends and brought a young lady to church that's been serving God ever since, now happily married. And you know what the story goes? She went and found somebody that didn't have a friend. She went and sat at that lunch table that her other friends might have looked down on a little bit and said, I'll be your friend, and began to minister to her. And that friend tells a story that says, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was insecure. I didn't feel right about who I was. But when this young lady came and talked to me about Jesus, it made me feel that someone loved me and cared about me. So, yeah, I wanted to come and check out the youth group. And that young lady went to Bible college, graduated, became married, and still serving the Lord today. It makes a difference when you're a Hezekiah in somebody's life. Amen? Find somebody. You may not be able to do it for everybody. Hezekiah was not the king of Egypt. Hezekiah was not the king of Assyria. Hezekiah was over Judah. And he said, here in Judah, there's somebody to look up to. Let's stiffen up our backs. Let's walk straight and live holy in Jesus' name. Amen? The next thing that we learn about Hezekiah is that when he smashed and he removed those things, he didn't do it intentionally to hurt feelings, but to please God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. How many know you got to get rid of some junk in the trunk? Amen. And if people get offended, it is what it is. Amen. How many know the church got to remain holy and pure? Amen. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I got to keep this church holy. Haven't you already complained about too many hypocrites? How many of y'all, let's be honest, have complained about hypocrites in the church? Then don't get mad when I kick people out that are hypocrites. 
Amen? I said amen. There ain't nothing wrong with somebody not taking this serious and showing up for a few hours a week, keeping them to, keeping them to themselves, doing whatever they do. That's, that's all right. You're welcome here. But you keep coming living in sin here. You take communion with us here, and then you tell my kids and other people here you're a Christian, we're going to give you a choice. Either stop saying you're a Christian or get holy. Amen? And if you don't want to do that, boot scoot boogie out that door. Don't let the door uh, hit you where the good Lord splits you. Now, if, if you don't like that, don't you ever say something's wrong with uh, hypocrites in the church. Because that's what I say to people all the time. Oh, these hypocrites in the church. Then I tell, I tell them, we ain't got them in ours. When we find them, we kick them out. Oh, I thought the church was supposed to love everybody. I can love you outside that door. How many know I love everybody in my neighborhood? But not everybody welcome in my house. You want to mess with my kids, talk, you want to curse, you're not welcome and take the Lord's name in vain. I told my own sister, my own sister, I got my daughters right here, they'll tell you the truth. Did not my sister snap back at you and make you cry at the dinner table one day? She did. And what did I tell my sister? You apologize to my daughter or you get out of my house. We don't talk to young people like that here. I don't care how she, we raised the same way, but I don't care how she came up after she got raised. When she snapped back at my daughter at a certain way, it was disrespectful. And I was there, and my daughter started crying. I said, we can take a whole lot here. We just don't take it like that. And I said, you got to repent to her. You can get out. My sister used to come to I lost a sister to drinking and driving. My other two siblings are alcoholics functioning. My sister used to come to my house all the time, my wife will tell you, with vodka in her, uh, in her tumbler and get drunk around us. And what did I tell my sister? You're not allowed in my house with alcohol anymore. Not that all alcohol is a sin. You're not allowed in my house. Can I hear an amen? Put up a standard and watch things change real quick. People complain to me all the time, well, I got these cousins, I got these friends. Put up a standard and see how far that will get, get you. Because once you, once you put up a high standard, people stop messing with you when they realize they're going to get kicked out. Same thing in the church. Pastor, man, I know I shouldn't have had sex before marriage. I'm wrong. Forgive me. You know, they talk to the Lord. You don't have to even come to me. I'm not your priest. I'm just saying, you, you, you make it right, we understand. You didn't mean to do it or it was an accident or, you know, you, you sinned. We all have sinned. God forgives. I get it. You want to live in your sin. You want to live with that man that you're not married to and keep calling yourself a Christian. This is not the church for you. Go down to Bishop's church where he does that with his secretary. Amen? Because I may not dress like Bishop, but I take this more serious than Bishop. Are you guys listening to me? I may not have a collar, and you don't got to call me Father Tom, but there's no pimping behind the pulpit here. I don't care who it is. You hear anybody touching a child, stealing money, call the police, and then we'll figure it out. Amen? This, this has to stop in the church. It just has to stop. You see, what we did is we took something that was good, welcoming everybody, come just as you are. Jesus loves the sinner, hates the sinner. We, we took that, which is the right message. He loves the fool but hates the folly. We took that message now to say everything goes. We took that message to mean this place can be just like that place. And it's not. This place is not that place. In Jesus' name, amen? My house is not like the trap house. Can I hear an amen? My house is not like Donald Trump's house. There ain't four baby mamas coming around. I don't care if you got a billion dollars. Those are still baby mamas. Are you listening to me? This house is not that house. This church is not that church. And when you start raising up that standard, people's back's going to get straight. People are going to get real with you and say, hey, you know, my sister, she don't come around so much. 
That's right, you're going to get real with me now because you know you don't want to stop drinking in front of my kids, so you can't handle it. I'll send you to a program, I'll pray for you, but I'm tired of your drunk self around my kids. I need my kids to have godly examples. You're an uncle where my brothers are drunk in Jesus' name. Don't let them down now in Jesus' name. Amen? You're an aunt to my, you're an aunt to my children right here. You're an auntie to them, Auntie Rosa. Amen? Make the homemade tortillas. Teach them the culture of Guatemala. Amen? Hallelujah. Put them on your knee. But, but live holy in front of them, amen? And I hope that I can be that for you. Look at what Paul said. He said, man, there's sexual immorality around you, even worse than what the pagans are doing. A man sleeping with his father's wife, that's probably his stepmom. He says, why are you all doing this? Go all the way down to the bottom, please. He says, your boasting is not good. What were they boasting about? Well, we just forgive them. We forgive everybody. Look how loving and accepting we are. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. So get the sin out or get out in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Y'all like, this is the most craziest church. Dude's wearing a shirt with a lion and a dragon hanging out of it. He's up here in jeans preaching harder than a holiness preacher. Guys, because I am a holiness preacher. I just don't preach on stuff that's not in the Bible. Your, your jeans and your makeup and the length of your hair and, and all, that's not in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is this stuff. I'm just as real as my ancestors are. I'm just as real as David. Somebody say amen. You see, I may not dress like David in the Bible. I may not have the same language, Hebrew, as he did in the Bible, but I believe just like David. I'm going to be like Hezekiah, and I'm going to follow David even if nobody else is. Amen? And so they said, get, he said, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be, look at this, a new unleavened batch as you really are. You see, that's why we're patient with you. Nobody just gets the boo. We always sit down with you. Hey, what, what don't you understand here? Well, you know, we've been living together for so long. We were planning on getting married. I'm just using that as an example. Okay, well, have you thought about sleeping in separate beds? I remember a man named Whaler who used to make shirts for me in New Orleans. He was an awesome man, and I found out one day he was a Christian, so he was making shirts for me. And I, I was hanging out with him, and he introduced me to a woman, you know. And uh, he, he said, man, this is, you know, this is my woman or whatever, girlfriend, something like that. And uh, we lived together, and we were just talking. And I said, so you're not married? And Whaler's like, no, we're not married. And I'm like, you're a Christian? He said, yeah. And I go, you want me to tell you the truth about that? He said, yeah, tell me. I said, brother, no fornicators going to heaven. I said, you're not a real Christian if you're fornicating. And you know what he did? Slap me. No, I'm kidding. You know what he did? You know what he did? You know what he did? He said, let's do a Bible study. He said, I, nobody ever taught me that. He said, as long as I loved her and I was going to do it at some point, I was told in my church that I was okay. I'm just being honest. That's what Whaler told me. Somebody say, that's what he said. So I sat down with Whaler. I sat down with them, and I said, brother, the Bible says in Galatians, no fornicator enters the kingdom of heaven. This is called fornication, my, my, my brother. You can't live like this. You know what he did? He lived in that house in a separate bed and got married to her. And guess who got to go to that wedding? Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on. I got to be there with my brother Whaler getting married. And you know what? He told his testimony too in front of everybody there. He said, you know what? I thought it was all right living with her just the way we were. But this preacher, he helped me understand that the Bible says I'm supposed to marry her if I love her. And I'm already having sex with her. And so we slept in separate rooms. And now we're getting married and we're going to get it on. You know, he said something like that. But he said, I'm going to encourage you to do the same. I understand that there's a group of people that don't know. That's why we're going to help them. But once you turn that corner to rebellion, that's when we can't help you no more. 
That's when you're now saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you have to get along with it. And that's what we have to say as Christians. No, I don't. I don't have to come to the barbecue anymore. If, you know, if y'all going to get drunk, and that's the way you're going to do it, and I've told you that's not the way I want to do it with my family, you just got to look at them and say, I appreciate you, but this tradition stops with me now. You don't have to keep going to the drunk barbecue. And I say this even now about the transgender issue. A lot of people coming to me with that. Well, I got a transgender this, transgender that. Now they want me to call them by the other name. You do not have to do that. You can say to them just like this, listen, Mary, I know you're not Bob, you're Mary. And listen, I love you, I respect you, but I can't be with you like this if you're going to get offended every time we're together. Because I'm not bringing my kids over here having them confused about whether you're a boy or a girl. See, but that's what it takes to be a Hezekiah. See, we all read. Go back to the notes for me, please, my brother. We, we read Hezekiah broke down these things. It's in the notes, sir. We read the, that Hezekiah broke these things down, and we clap our hands. Go up a little bit for me, please. Or so, sorry, the, the passage. You were right. That was, that was my bad. We, we read here. It says, he crushed these idols. Look at what it says. He smashed the stones, cut down these totem pole-like things. And we all go, Woo! Oh, he did it. Yes, he did. Like, smash that Buddha. You know, we, we all, like, can get on that level. Like, okay, I would be down with that. But you're not willing to smash a relationship? You think that's unchristian because they're going to make you feel guilty? My friend, that, that cost that man something. What do you think all those idol, idol worshipers did when he smashed stuff right in front of them? Read the book of Acts when it happened over there. When they smashed all those idols, they tallied it up. It was over a million dollars. They wanted to kill him. Because they couldn't make money selling them idols anymore. Remember, it wasn't somebody else's stuff. It was their stuff, right? So they broke their own stuff. And the idol makers go, what in the world? Y'all aren't going to buy my idols anymore. Get those Christians. They're taking away our business. The world won't like it when you smash stuff in front of them. Go back now, please, to, to 1 Corinthians 5 in closing. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Amen. I'm there with you. It's not always easy. I was, um, you know, you, don't want, you want to know my hobby, you can make fun of me now, right? It's like I tease baseball and uh, football. I like to wakeboard. I hold on to a rope. I, you know, I go on top of the water and uh, do tricks and all this. Well, I was uh, at one of these contests, and I wasn't in it. I was just out there supporting my dudes in bathing suits. Okay, so we can make that weird, but we won't. So I'm there supporting my dudes in their, in their contest. But these young dudes on the mic, on the live feed, are cussing all over the place. And they wanted me to be in it, and they want my kids to be in it, okay? Now, I could have just let that slide and said, well, dude, that's the wakeboarding culture, man. I mean, they just cuss, you know, they drink their Pabst Blue Ribbon, dude, and, you know, that's how it is. No, man, I went to the owner of the place, and I go, what is this? cussing all over the place, man. You got kids riding. Why are you doing that, man? I thought you were a Christian. We can't have that. And then I didn't even just complain like a Karen because I know I can be one sometimes with my privileged, white privileged self, you know. But you know what? I went to one of the dudes and you might have thought like you were in the hood for a minute up in that wakeboard park. I'm serious. I was like, hey, hey, yo, come over here, dude. What's, you talking to me, man? Yeah, you, dude. Come here. <laughs> I was like, why are you boys cussing? Oh, man, those aren't really my boys. I thought you ride with them. Yeah, I ride with them. Yeah, but why are they cussing? You see, I went and confronted the dude. That's my wake park. I pay money to be there. You wanted me in your competition, and then you're going to use vulgarity? You know, I asked them, I said, man, you know, because they ride for this company. I said, what would that company say? Oh, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't care. You know what I said right back to them? Then I don't care about your company. You don't care about my values? I don't care about your company. You see, it's about time that Christians just start taking that stance. 
You let the world get sassy about everything. The world pushes onto you their agenda. The world, let's just go back to BLM and how we had those riots at Nini's. BLM said to every one of their supporters, after Blackout Tuesday, if your places don't have a black square on their businesses, boycott them. Isn't that what they said? That's what they said. And they got away with it. They, they went and boycotted everything. And the world applauded them. Did anybody in the world get mad? Any rapper get mad? Any of those superstars get mad? No, they all did it, right? But then we now outlaw abortion. We should do the same thing. Look at every one of these businesses and churches that you support and see if they have now put up a pro-life sign. And if they haven't, get out of those churches. Get out of those businesses. You want to raise up a rainbow flag? Show me the baby right now. I'm not saying that we have to use their same weapons because ours are even mightier from the word of God. I'm just saying like when Hezekiah made those changes, he made it in such a way people understood he meant business. We need to let the world know we mean business. We're not cool with you murdering our children. We're not cool with their, the, the racism that you push on us. We're not cool with the LGBT in our families, in our communities. That's not what we're down with in Jesus' name. He said, get rid of the old yeast so that you can have new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now read uh, verse 9 right here with me. Let's put it, to, put it up there for everybody. Let's read this together. One, two, three. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to what? Leave this world. Now look at verse 11. One, two, three. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Well, Jesus said not judge. We'll keep reading. Verse 12. What is it of mine to judge those outside, a business of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Well, as my old preacher used to say, amen, walls. Somebody get my back. It's tight, but it's right. This is how the Bible talks. I don't know about you, but I don't mean this in hate and anger towards anybody. I really don't. Please hear my heart. I'm just saying, don't you want to be a holy people? Then smash the junk that's in your life. Don't smash people. We're not like them. We're not trying to fight them. As I told you before, they now want to take it violent. Well, I can't come to your house. I'm going to do what? That's not where I'm at. This is where I'm at. I'm at in my spirit. You grieve me. This is not what I'm called to do. I can't walk with you. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? King Hezekiah said, I'm going to make a decision to smash those things. But you know what God promised him? Would you go back to the passage, please? God promised him success. Come on, somebody say success. Look at what he said right here. The Lord was with him in verse 7. Thank you, brothers. You're doing great back there. He was what? He was what? Look at verse 7. He was successful in whatever he undertook. You know why I think... America is the way that it is in so many cultures and so many communities and so many generations because it's a mess. You know why? You know why we're not successful as moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas? You know why we're not successful as being boys and girls? You know why we're not successful in government? You know why we're not successful in our business? You know why all of this is happening? Because we're not trusting in the Lord anymore. 
In God we trust. We trusted in money. Now how much you got of it? Hello? You trusted in a president. Now what do they do for you? You trusted in a church. What do they do for you? You see, anything other than trusting God and his word is going to let you down. I've been let down by every which way you can possibly think. I've been let down by Christians. I've been let down by non-Christians. I've been let down by worldly sinner people. I've been let down by people who say they are the holiest of people. But here's one person who's never let me down, God. And when those other people let me down, God just had more opportunity to show up and show off. Can I hear an amen? God will take every opportunity that you give him to show you how good he is. I'm not saying you won't go through tests and trials. We don't know what Hezekiah had to go through, but he went through some battles. He went through some wars. But you know what? God said at the end, you're going to be successful. When my wife and I first started this church, I had Christians say, I'm going to help you. They were some of the first ones to get offended, and it was the sinners that stayed. (laughs) Come on, somebody. You know you're in trouble when the Christians leave you, and you're a pastor, and it was the sinners. They said, man, I don't even know about church. I remember sometimes people would come to my church, and just to be nice, they would send me like, like, little, like little hints. One sister, she gave me like a whole like outfit, you know, like she wanted me to wear. It was like a button-down shirt. I'm being serious with you. Like she gave it to me as a gift, you know, and it was cool, and I wore it one time, but I'm not wearing polos or whatever that was. You remember what I'm talking about, right, Nancy? Oh, you don't remember that? You remember her giving me a shirt? Hey, pastor, this is just a gift. But I kept preaching. You can look at uh, Salvador right here. Salvador, will you raise your hand? Let's give it up for him. He's been here from day one. I don't want to call you out as a sinner, but you weren't really a saint when you came back around. Am I telling the truth? (laughs) Come on. You a saint or an ain't? I ain't a saint, pastor. Let's be honest. No, he wasn't. But you know what? He stuck around. I I had family leave me. Family. Come to the church, leave. You know why? Because they wanted that church over there that would just make them feel cute every Sunday. But you know what we did every Sunday? Just like you did here. You saw people stand out there. We would witness. Go around the neighborhood. Still do it to this day. Go preach. Go out and do discipleship. You know what my, fa- uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law did? Oh, Joey, Joey, we've been Christians so long. We okay. We don't need. No, no you ain't okay. Get in discipleship. In one of my Bible studies, I, I'll tell on my own family, in one of my Bible studies, my, my father-in-law acted up, and I said, we're not interrupting the Bible study. We're going to keep going. He walked out of the Bible study, TJ, in the middle of a Bible study. Then my mother-in-law went right out with him. I had to call up my pastor. Somebody say, Lord, help him. I needed some help. I had to call up my pastor. You know what my pastor said? Go tell him that was their decision, and now they're going to live with it. You left, you're gone. How do you think that went next Thanksgiving? But I said to him, this is what I said. I said, you're a great mother, uh, a great father to my, my wife. You guys can hang out as much as you guys want. That's just the way it is, but no longer come to the church. You walked out in the middle of Bible study, we're done. Now, eventually they repented. Praise God. I'm getting free up here. Is, are you guys my Jerry Springer audience? What happened here? I got free. But you see, somebody wouldn't do that. Somebody, I'm just being honest with you, I have friends that got their family in the church making a mess, but they don't let the, you know, let the mess get cleaned up. Sometimes you got to let the mess get cleaned up. Here's how you clean it up. Don't come back until you repent. You're not walking out of my Bible study treating me like I'm some little child because I married your daughter. We're not having church like that. Jesus even said his mother and his brothers were out there going, hey, Jesus, hey, come on over here. And Jesus said, no, no, you go out there and tell them who is my mother, who is my brother, who's my sister. It's those right here doing the will of God. If Mary wants something, she can come in here. Tell a Roman Catholic that and see if they still like you. 
Amen. They always talk about Mary at the wedding feast. You see how Mary got her way with Jesus? See, that's why you got to go to Mary and get her to do stuff for, for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's what the Catholics say. Seriously, you see a bumper stuck, a sticker that says, if you can't get Jesus to do it, ask his mother. Well, remind them of that passage where he said, hey, tell my mom I'm right here. If she wants what I got, come and get it. Because I'm not here to do what mama said at this point. No disrespect to moms and dads. I'm just being honest with you. When you look at Hezekiah's life, his family was not godly. His family was not godly. He had to make his decision to serve the Lord. If you just scroll up a little bit in closing, I want everybody to see this. And uh, Lawrence, would you come, please? It says here, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings, either before him. And didn't Hezekiah have a dad? He had a dad, right? He didn't come from a test tube, right? So if there was nobody like him, that means no, his dad wasn't like him, right? And then nobody after him. Was his kids like him? And I tell that to my kids all the time. You can go to hell if you want to. I'm going to heaven. Amen? Now, I want my children to go with me, but I'm not letting my children bring me to hell. Just a few more stories in closing. What closing am I on? The third or the fourth one? I think I got five in me today. Here's what I'm going to say about this. I've had friends turn their back on God because of what their kids did. Well, my kids, you know, I used to be against homosexuality until one of my children came out and... Then I went back and I looked at the Bible and, oh, I just see it so different. You lying, you don't see nothing different. You just can't have the heart to smash that idol in your daughter's heart. Because you, 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 you idolize being the one that she always likes. And so if you smash that idol, she's not going to like you and you're going to lose your idol of being the likable dad. I told my children very early on, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to be your buddy, but I will be the best friend, best buddy you'll ever have. Right, Lucas? We down? Come on. But I'm not here first and foremost to do that. I'm going to teach him the ways of God. And if God allowed Adam to sin, I can allow them to make their own decisions, but they won't in my house. At that point, that's going to be up to them. You don't want to be in the garden? There's the world. There's a lot of weeds out there. It's going to get crazy, but you make your choice. And then some people say, well, that's why I'm pro-choice, because God is pro-choice. No, no, we still legislate our morals, y'all. If God was pro-choice by everything, let's just let murder go, right, because he's pro-choice. Do you want people murdering each other because it's pro-choice? Some Christians try to get away with that. They honestly did. They thought they were smart or something. Well, you see, God is pro-choice. Even though I'm against murder, God is pro-choice. He allows us to make a choice. Yeah, that's right. But there are penalties in our civil laws for the choices you make, dum-dum. Come on, the Bible calls them fools. What is wrong with you? That is a foolish thing to say. Well, it's a man's choice to rape somebody, and God is about choice, so you can do it. No, we make laws against that. Yes, it's your choice if you want to be a lawbreaker, but the consequence is we're going to put you behind in jail. So, yes, we love mothers, and we want them to keep their children, but if you don't, put them up for adoption. Don't murder them. That's not a choice you get, and it's not your body. That's somebody else's body that gets cut up and thrown in the trash. Can I hear an amen? But going back to this thing about being successful, I just, I, I really feel like we haven't given God a chance in this culture. I talk to young people all the time, and they, they tell me, like, it just doesn't work. But really, have you worked it? Have you worked it, young people? I mean, really? Because if you work the word, it will work for you. Have we really? We haven't, have we? Let's be honest. I look at young people, they say, well, man, the culture is pushing me so hard, Pastor, I can't go in that direction. You know, have you really tried to stand up? Have you? I talk to adults, too. Like I said, my pastor friends, their children go in this direction. They now feel like they have to defend them. 
They spend more time defending sinners than they do the Word of God. You should learn how to defend the Word of God, not a sinner. Can I hear an amen for that? People want to defend sinners all the time. Well, who are you to judge? Who are you? You know, they get so mad. Like, man, why are you defending this? If you're going to defend something, defend the, the innocent, defend the righteous cause, amen? Like people, I'm just giving an example. People want to defend the mother to have an abortion, but not the child that's being killed. What do you think you're supposed to defend? First start with the one we're trying to murder. Let's not do that and then figure out the mom, amen? Do you know that this church has helped mothers who didn't want the baby at first because of their living environment go stay in a hotel until they could have the child and we were going to adopt it? But then the mother decided to keep the child, praise God. But you know we do that in this church? Do you know that we have a home that's always available in Missouri to take a mother that needs help with her baby right now? The, the family's already told us anytime, they used to be a part of this church, they moved away. They said anytime a mother is contemplating an abortion because of her living environment, she has a bed, and then it, it's, the picture's up, we've already seen it, it's a safe place to be. Amen? But people will defend that and not the child. People will say that we're mean because we're talking about these controversial issues, but they're not upset that the devil's taking souls to hell. Do you know that whatever sin people are dealing with today still ends in hell? So why are we defending it? Why not preach to them and help them see the truth? That's where success will come. Last story I want to encourage you with, last closing, I mean it. I got to get you guys to the barbecue. Any barbecues going on today? few of you, is it all tomorrow, y'all? Is it all tomorrow? Well, I got some time then. Amen. Six closing. There's a precious young lady in this church, and I'm not going to point her out, but she knows who she is. And when she first came here, she was a young girl, and then she had left and did her own thing. She came as a teenager. The next time she came, she looked just like a boy, just like a boy. She met me right here at this altar, and she said, pray for me. Because God has showed, showed me who I'm supposed to be and I'm supposed to give my life to him and how I'm going to live the rest of my life as the way he made me. And do you know that when she said that to me, I didn't know if I was, because I didn't remember her from the past, I didn't know if I was supposed to pray for her to be a girl or to stay a boy. Because that's how much like a boy she looked like at that moment. But I just prayed and I said, Lord, you know, and you got it all under control. Do you know that today if she walks into this place or points herself out, you would never know that was her struggle. But what did it take? It took her being willing to smash whatever is keeping her away from God. She, could, she knew she could have gone to probably a hundred other churches that either would have left her alone, not got up in her business, or you know what, approved of it, but she knew that wasn't God. She knew she had to come to a place and make it right. And I want to ask you today, are you going to make it right? Because don't just put it on others. Well, somebody over here will be a Hezekiah. Somebody over there is going to do it. No, it starts with us right now. What is in my family that's not right? What's in my marriage that's not right? What's in the way I'm raising my children that's not right? You know, how can I do what Hezekiah did? If the Lord told me right now, Joe, don't do any more of your hobbies. Pray every day uh, for this amount of time you would give to a hobby. I would do it in 30 seconds. If he said, Joe, only read the King James. or You know, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. Are you going to do it? Because at the end of the day, you know why God's doing that for us? So that we can be successful. Just highlight it one more time. Verse 7. Let's read it together in closing. One, two, three. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Can we stand up? Give it up for Jesus today. Come on.
Amen. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to help us. Band and altar workers, would you come? Can we close in prayer? And those who need it, you can come to the front at any time. Prayer workers here to encourage you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you smash.